0: The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and we will jump into the big parts of the Bible. Again, we must remember that we are laying a groundwork as we go through this, and as we get into it, we'll uh, perhaps get more complex in the uh, the overviews, but this is going to be a Maybe we could say last last time we were together was the two testaments that we looked at. And so that would be a thirty thousand foot view. We're gonna come down to maybe a fifteen thousand foot view tonight and look at the how we can connect the table of contents. But before we get there, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 14. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 14. And let's read down for a little bit here. And let's catch the heart of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, his son in the faith, who we are about ready to step into in the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 16, where he has just been, uh, he's been found there in Lystra as a young disciple that is going to eventually begin journeying with the Apostle Paul. So Second Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 14. But continue thou, Timothy, in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, truly furnished unto all good works, completely ready for all good works. Do you believe that about the word of God tonight, that in your hands you hold the key to you being able to effectively serve God, to completely serve him in a way that is pleasable? I charge thee, I, I, I adjure thee, I, I, I have something that I really want you to get a hold of, I've charged thee therefore before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, the alive, and the dead at His appearing, and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Oftentimes that happens all in a in the same messages. Uh, that's not just oh here's a message. It's all rebuke, and there there that that happens from time to time, but. Uh, oftentimes those are all combined in the word of God. Aren't you thankful that uh, every time God speaks to us, it's not all rebuke, but he he tells us what is wrong. He tells us, hey, you've been going the wrong way. This is the way you need to correct it. It It's similar to how we see in the the seven letters to the churches. And so he he corrects it. Here's what you need to do. I'm instructing you with doctrine. Here we go. Verse number three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Listen, the time comes where it's according to their lust they seek out teachers that go along with how they feel and how they desire. And boy, isn't that a commentary on today. And they shall turn away their ears from the, what is it? The truth and shall be turned unto fables. Who, friends, is the author of fables and deceit? Satan is. But watch thou in all things. Be on guard, Timothy, in all things. Endure affliction, do the work of the ministry, make full proof, make full proof of your ministry. And so he continues on to exhort Timothy, hey, Timothy, I want you to hold on to what you've been taught. Look at verse number um, 14 again, but continue, keep at it, stay at what you've been taught. Don't lose a grip on those things. Don't lose sight of what you've been taught. Continue in the things that you have been taught. And tonight as we open up the word of God in its its parts, in its different big parts, let's just remember that this is the word of God that he has asked us to keep and hold on to and commit to our, our lives and to continue in. Father, would you bless us as we look at your word this evening. Would it help us? Would it instruct us? Lord, would we get a full understanding of how you laid it out for us to have in this day? Thank you for preserving your word for us. We give you glory for that even tonight. In Jesus name. Amen. So we have how many books in the Bible? 66. How many in the Old Testament? 39. And how many in the New Testament? 27 27 and so we have one book one theme that's what we looked at last week though there's two main divisions the old and the new testament we have one central character and that is the lord jesus christ we have one central theme and that is the redemption of sinful mankind now let's just think about it for a second Uh, for a church to grow for god to build his church he accomplishes that through his word by his holy spirit And for us to grow individually as Christians, as members of the body of Christ, we need the word of God. There's a lot of things that can come and go. There's a lot of things that can change. And even through the time of of COVID and even even through the time of uh, of the changing of generations, different practicalities change or different uh, methodologies change. But the fact is, the Word of God is a constant. The doctrine, the truth of the Word of God is a mainstay. It has to remain the same. It is the same. And so uh, whether it's a doctrinal, theological, uh, th- these things we cannot allow to change. These are, these things are firmly rooted in the Word of God. In fact, as we look back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15, he tells us, hey, I'm writing this to you, Timothy, so you know how to behave in the house of God, which is the pillar and the ground of truth. It's it's a stable foundation, and it is what upholds truth in society. So this, this, the Word of God, cannot change. How we go about sometimes it will change. You know, in this day we have technology; they didn't have that back in Gutenberg's day. So we put um, put the Bible on paper. And I hear sometimes people like, "Well, you, uh, you shouldn't read the Bible off a phone, or you shouldn't read the Bible off a uh, off a tablet, or something like that." The fact is, you might not prefer it, but it, it, things do change and things move along, but the fact is, it's still the same Word of God that we must stand on and we must believe and uphold, even in our society. My heart was burdened today as up in uh, up in the Senate, uh, they're debating the Equality Act and they're debating whether uh, whether uh, it's male and female as God says, and whether on um, people that hold to saying, "Hey, that's a man and that's a woman," whether that's going to be a, a, a matter of discrimination, and that's a sad thing. We got to stand firm on the word of God. That can't change, right? How we go about some things can change, but this cannot change. And Paul challenged Timothy, keep the word of God, continue in the word of God. Let it be on what grows you and what develops you and what moves you forward for the Lord in ministry, what prepares you for all good works. So as we examine this tonight, what are we trying to do? We're trying to understand it a little bit better, understand how it's broken down so that we might better communicate it. We might better study it in all of its parts. We're going to look at seven parts of the Word of God, though that is subjective. uh, um, People might divide it down a little bit more, but that's how we're going to look at it tonight. And you should have a sheet in front of you. You can write it down. The reason that's on real thick paper is so that you can fold that up and put it in your Bible or put it in a place where you might be able to refer back to it later on. And so I hope that that'll be a reference for you. Uh, the Bible begins with creation and everything is perfect, right? A uh, new heaven, brand new heaven, brand new earth. It's a beautiful thing. And it ends with God creating a new heaven and a new earth. And the story from start to finish really, uh, really proves the, the brokenness of mankind and of creation. Does not creation right now groan for the redemption? Uh, it does. And it, it's falling apart and and our world's all consumed with the falling apart of creation. It is. It's groaning. The Bible says in, in the book of of Romans. And we also see that right from the get go, the brokenness of every solution to fix itself. I was talking to one of my children the, this morning. What happened in the garden? Man sinned, and immediately they realized that they were they were not clothed, and they were ashamed. And I said, What did they immediately do? They tried to clothe themselves. And we all of a sudden immediately see that man's solution to his own sinfulness and his shame is not sufficient before God. He says, "Ah, it's not going to be fig leaves. I'm going to give you some animal skins and so on. And immediately it's just a, a, a microcosm, a small picture of the fact that our solutions that we come up with do not affect anything inside of God. Only one solution there was given, and that is in Jesus Christ, that can completely solve the problem in creation and mankind. And so God would deal with sin through His Son, Jesus Christ. He'd rescue and redeem us all through His shed blood at Calvary. Everything in Scripture drives towards that. Everything in Scripture is moving in that direction. And ultimately, we look forward to the day when He completely sets us apart from sin, where we're redeemed out of this world, we're in His presence, out of the presence of sin. Everything is made new. There's a new heaven, a new earth. Everything comes back to where it started, and even more gloriously so. The Bible says that eyes have not seen, nor ears heard, uh, nor have we imagined what has entered into the heart of God uh, and what what awaits us, and it, what amazing thing. Uh, It is that we have to look forward to and so as we break this down we start with history We start with history Genesis through Revelation. The first five books of the Bible are called what? They're called the history, but what the Pentateuch which is a fancy word for the law, right? And so uh, it is historical books that God, God's telling us where we came from, how we, uh, how we got here. But we call the first five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the law or the Pentateuch, those, those five books written by Moses. And uh, God uh, inspired him and used him to write, uh, write those books, uh, the Pentateuch. Uh, tells the story of beginnings, the creation of the universe, the fall of humanity into sin and corruption, the development of humanity. Where do we find out about human government? In the book of Genesis. Where do we find out about capital punishment uh, as God described it? In the book of Genesis. Where do we see God uh, God laying out uh, His covenant? In In the book of Genesis. We learn about the character of God, the personal God who uses a particular family or meets with a particular family, Abraham, and through him uh, establishes a covenant, would work through that covenant. We come to Joshua through Esther, and we again hear much of the history in these 12 books of history. Uh, Joshua judges Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. They continue the story of humanity. And This is not a history in the the modern sense of facts and statistics. It's a real true drama. So we're not just reading stories in some sort of fairy tale. It's a real true drama. And it's filled with sometimes tenderness. Other times it's filled with violence. Have you not read through? I mean, there's some pretty amazing things that go on through those books. It's filled with success and failure, faithfulness and unfaithfulness. Hundreds of Thousands of descendants of Abraham enter into the promised land. They struggle to live under the authority of God. Isn't it amazing when you think about them? I believe we heard it on Sunday night in Numbers 14, waiting uh, outside of the promised land, refusing to believe God and to go in. And when they finally get in there, they, they still struggle to obey the commands of God. And they start looking at the other nations and they start worshiping just like them. And they struggle to live under his rule, So he establishes judges. But after uh, after a little bit, they realize that we don't really care for this a whole lot. The other nations have kings and we want a king that can go out and fight for us. And so they they want a government just like the other nations. Notice one of the problems with with Israel was the fact that they were constantly looking to the other nations. And doesn't that seem like a microcosm to what happens in my life and in your life? We look to the world and we look to them and that's where we get in trouble. And Jesus told us, Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that's where our eyes needed to stay. But they looked at the other nations. After merely three generations of this this new government in in the Israelite nation, what happens? What happens after David? What happens when Solomon gets on the scene? He turns it over to... He turns it over to his son. What, what's happening there? What, what happened to the kingdom? It divides, right? And so we have this divided nation. They can't even keep that together. Why? They, they're disobeying God and they're, they're wanting their own way. And so we have this uh, uh, divided and there's a 200 years of, of disappointments broken up with occasional revivals that would be going on and then as they continued to look and follow the ways of the other nations God would allow the superpowers of the Assyrian empire the Babylonian empire to sweep down into this divided kingdom and bring them into bondage and remember this God teaches us through that time that sin always leads us into bondage always it always entraps us and it ensnares us. And the harder we pull away and the harder we try to hide it, the fact of the matter is it ensnares us. It's a horrible thing. Uh, they, they destroy. They go into exile. There is times where they get to go back. But it was, it was a rocky road uh, for the Israelite nation through that time. It leads us up to the wisdom books of the Bible. After Esther comes Job. And God begins to share how the human heart connects with the the heart of God. And really, in a very amazing way, God reveals himself to us with unvarnished, completely completely transparent uh, realities. He just shows us himself. How many times have you been reading through the book of Psalms or Proverbs and you just see the the heart of God connecting with the, the human heart. How many times do you read through the, the book of Psalms or even, even as Job just pours out his heart before God? This is, this is where I am. And God showing himself to Job and revealing himself to Job and, and his mercy and his kindness back to him. We have these books of poetry and wisdom, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And the author of these books let loose in praise, sometimes anguish, sometimes affirmation, but with great longing. I want us to turn over to Psalm chapter 34 and verse number 8. We learn much as we read through these wisdom uh, letters, these wisdom books. We learn much about what is in the human heart and what is in the heart of God. Psalm 34 and verse number 8. And when uh, someone has uh, arrived there, would you volunteer to stand and read that? Psalm 34 and verse number 8. And even here... We hear the psalmist in his longing, in his longing uh, for God. Yes, sir. Read it good and loud so everyone can hear. That psalm, thank you, brother. That psalm is a wonderful psalm, but you can hear the psalmist, if you were to read all the way through there, you can hear the psalmist just begging with those, I hey, hate. I've seen the goodness of God. I've experienced the heart of God. Would you not taste and see? Would you not personally experience the goodness of God? And isn't that a wonderful call to us all? Would you not this week personally experience the goodness of God? And there's something very special about the wisdom on um, books of the Bible. I remember back in college going through some of the wisdom books and especially through um, Proverbs. And what a rich study that that is. And if you uh, find that to be interesting, Uh, There are some good commentaries. Mottier um, puts out a commentary, especially on Proverbs, that is a wonderful commentary. And someday we'll get back to going through the book of Proverbs. But what a wonderful study uh, and rich study. But those are the wisdom on poetry. That's our second category along the way. Our third category along the way is the prophets, Isaiah through Malachi. These are broken down in two ways, by the major prophets and the minor prophets. The major prophets deal with Isaiah through Daniel, while the uh, the minor prophets deal with uh, Hosea through Malachi. And so uh, when you hear maybe a preacher say this is one of the major prophets, that's what's being uh, referred to. And in these prophets, uh, there are included these declarations from God. Uh, there is included history. You read through Isaiah, there's a lot of history there, And I think particularly of the history given on Hezekiah in the book of Isaiah. Lots of history that's given there, as well as some poetry. The kings and governments uh, are, are shown in these prophets as not the answer to the chaos that's going on in the world. Isn't that the case? You see how many times that, that the, the human government falls far short of bringing order to the things that have gone wrong. And uh, over and over, you see that uh, uh, portrayed in the prophets. God uses the prophets to confront, to instruct, to guide the people of God. And we see that. But that leads us to this period of 400 years of silence between the testaments, where there is no open vision. God is not revealing himself through a prophet. There is no God called prophet on the scene for 400 years uh, talking to God's people. Uh, as a messenger from God. But then we open up, why don't you turn over there to Matthew chapter number one. Matthew chapter number one. We've talked before about how that Malachi ends with this, this statement that if there is not a turning around and a following of God, there is going to be a curse that comes upon upon God's people lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. I mean, it just stops there and then we have 400 years of this silence. And then I love How the Bible opens up Matthew chapter number one, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Everything that God promised in the Old Testament, he opens up and declares right there. Here it is. Here's the book. Here's what I'm doing. Here it is. Uh, It is now time to realize the Messiah has come. The book of the generation of Jesus, the Savior, Christ being Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, just like God promised. And he goes into the the wonderful genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall uh, shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. There was silence, but it was broken by the fact that Jesus Christ came to the earth, God with us. And so we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We'll get to these a little later on, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels, which are, have a similar viewpoint. Many of the stories that you find in those, uh, and miracles that you find within those books are repeated in each of the books. In fact, in some of your Bibles, you might have in the back what is called the harmony of the gospels. You know what I'm talking about with that? The harmony of the gospel. That's a, a great resource. There's actually a, a, a full book that's entitled that the harmony of the gospels that help you to, uh, to see the Gospels, uh, where the different stories show up in uh, each of the Gospels. John kind of stands alone because he's portraying Jesus Christ as God. And so he spends much time dealing with the miracles and that which portrays the deity of Jesus Christ. And so we have the four Gospels that give different perspectives of Jesus Christ and were written to different groups of people to help us all in the world understand who Jesus Christ is and what he intends for us to know about him while he was on earth but then he passes uh, he uh, goes from earth he ascends back to heaven and he leaves us in the book of Acts in that first chapter and he says hey listen as I've gone from this on this place I will also return once again and he leaves us uh, with this this thought I'm I'm coming back. I'm coming back. But for right now, you are my witnesses in this world. You shall be witnesses after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. And we see that Jesus' work that he started in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John continues through the book of Acts, but now through the church. And it's done by his spirit. Uh, In the Old Testament, his spirit would come upon people for acts of service. He would be with them for acts of service. But the Bible says that in the New Testament, He comes to dwell within us, to empower us to do his will and to carry out his mission in the world. 400 years uh, after the last book of the Old Testament, human history is transformed with the emergence of Jesus Christ, one person said, as the Messiah. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story uh, of Jesus both as a personal history and as an expression of faith. They are gospel. They are good news. Luke continues the story by telling the dramatic events in the mission of Christ designated uh, in and Jesus' has designated representatives in the book of Acts as the apostles. The promise made to Abraham 2,000 years earlier that through his family, all nations of the earth will be blessed is dramatically revealed for the first time as the message of Jesus Christ spreads across the then known uh, world. And that we're seeing that. We're right in the middle of that in the book of Acts. we we just seen um, um, Paul come back from his first missionary journey. He's going to go out and ultimately he's going to get all the way up to Rome and he's going to preach the gospel right in Caesar's household. What an amazing thing that it is. All this being a fulfillment of what God said would happen. And number five, we come to the letters of Paul. As we come to the end of the book of Acts, we go into the epistles. Romans through Philemon. These letters of Paul were to the churches. You come across uh, Romans and you come across uh, uh, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and so on. We find these letters to the churches, but we also find letters to leaders giving guidance for personal and church life, uh, helping them to understand what they, how they were to function in the church. As I just mentioned a moment ago, 1st. Uh, Timothy three and verse number fifteen that thou oughtest know uh, that thou mayest know how the ought to behave thyself in the house of God. The letters the apostle Paul wrote to the Christian communities and to individuals were uh, and the general epistles of the New Testament contain fresh teachings about life, and usually, usually they were in response to problems. So think about Corinthians in particular. Why did Paul write these these letters to? Uh, the the first letter to Corinth, because they had a lot of issues going on in the church. There was division, there was sexual immorality, there was all sorts of things that were going on in the church of Corinth. And he says, I got to deal with these things. And so usually these epistles were in response to a a doctrinal problem, a practical, um, unpractical problem, and they reveal the character of God. They reveal uh, really on a higher plane on how that we are to live out our lives with the power, in the power of the Holy Spirit, taking it to a whole new level. Much of what we see carried on in the book of Acts is affirmed. It is it is explained further in the epistles that are given to us. And so these letters of Paul and I was thinking about this today. Isn't it amazing that God used Paul? To write so much of scripture and it just assures us that there is no one beyond the use of God. And, uh, you know, you look at Paul in, on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter number 9, and you think that one of his first statements to God was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the power of a, a life fully committed to God. I believe it was D.L. Moody says uh, the world has not yet seen what God can do with a man who is fully surrendered to, on, to God, I intend to be that man. And uh, what an amazing, amazing uh, illustration right in Scripture. Paul, a man that was fully committed to God, and God used him in such a marvelous, marvelous way. And even as we've seen him go through that first missionary journey, one of the interesting things to watch as the Holy Spirit narrates Scripture is how it goes from Barnabas, uh, Barnabas and Paul. Paul, to Paul and Barnabas. And I noticed on Sunday as we got back down to Jerusalem, it was Barnabas and Paul that they still perceived it that way, still perceived Barnabas as the leader. That was kind of interesting to me. But it's interesting how God puts him in the role of leading and, and uses him in such a, a powerful, powerful way. And then we have the letters to the believers in Hebrews through uh, through Jude, the various letters to the scattered Christians, to these personal letters, uh, these letters that were intended to uh, on particular believers that were scattered out and living with, out in the world. And you know what? No matter where you are, no matter where you are in the world, God is concerned about you and your uh, you're living uh, out the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it brings us to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Revelation is section Uh, uh, to itself in a sense uh, where where John is writing those letters to the churches like we're going through on Sunday night but then God's final revelation on how everything is going to end out and I don't know how close we are to seeing this happen but uh, it seems like it has to be soon it seems like it has to be soon the book of Revelation uh, really fascinates and puzzles us sometimes you read through that what in the world's going on it's it's just this Mix of declarations and judgments, and really some images that that, uh, in a way, just knock us for a loop, if if you will, and, and in some ways, uh, show us the awfulness of our God, not uh, the 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 terror of our God, that of what He is going to do and how He's going to judge the the earth. And one of the things that strikes me in the book of uh, Revelation is how that. Time after time, as you go through that book, you read it, God brings his judgment upon mankind, and you'll see how that it, it finishes after a judgment saying that they, they raise their fists and blaspheme the God of heaven. And that's an amazing thing to me, how, how mankind can be so resolved in the rejection and their hate toward God. And we see some of that in the world today. But you know as well in the, in the book of Revelation, There's a there's a sense of comfort. There's a silver lining of comfort that God will set all things right. Every knee is going to bow to God. Every knee is going to declare that he is Lord, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All things will come full circle from the garden all the way back to paradise, from paradise to paradise. And this is how it ends up. And what an amazing thing that that is. Uh, I don't know when we'll get to go through uh, fully through the book of Revelation, but it's a beautiful book. I encourage you to read it and allow it to um, bless your soul. The Bible says that there's a special blessing to those that read it and keep the words of that book. And it's an important book. It's an important book for us right now. Something that I'm personally doing. Uh, uh, Evangelist Scott Pauley uh, gives a podcast, a daily devotional podcast. Right now he is going through. Uh, a, a podcast series entitled The King is Coming. It's about a 10-minute daily podcast. I'll tell you that I never uh, listen to that without just rejoicing in what uh, God is doing. We're in, in about in uh, Revelation chapter 14, so there's a bunch of podcasts there, and if you'd like to listen, you can listen to them right on the Internet, and, and super easy if you go to enjoyingthejourney.com, and I'll tell you what, it'll bless your soul during this day. It really will, and that has been a personal blessing uh, to me concerning the book of Revelation, but that's where we are. That that seven those seven sections, and again that's subjective. There's many other ways to br- um, break down, but in general, uh, there there we have it. And there are some other I should say this about the end times and Revelation. There are other uh, there are other parts of the old uh, the New Testament that deal with the end times, and there's even some parts of uh, of of Daniel. In the, in, the, uh, in the prophets that deal with in-time events and so forth. So this is a very simplistic um, breakdown as we look at it. Let, let's just end with this. Look again at 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14, but continue, continue. Uh, we have to be a good student of the Word of God. It means that we know how to break it down. We, it means that we know how to... Uh, uh, interpret it in context. It means that we understand how it is laid out in Scripture, uh, how it is laid out in, in book form for us. So we've learned last time we were together about the, the two covenants and the, two, um, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see that division, but we see, as we get down a little bit further, we see other divisions in there, and I hope that's a help to you. But we need to continue in it. We need to keep it. We need to, we need to stay rooted in the Word of God. Uh, Colossians tells us that God desires for us to be rooted and grounded in his truth. Colossians 3.16 tells us that we are to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. And it will change our lives if we let it to do that. It will dramatically change our lives if we allow it to dwell in us. And so let me give you, in closing, some suggestions for reading the Bible as you go along. And you can find those on the back of your sheet. encourage you to consider these. Read the Bible with an up-close as well as a far-off perspective. Don't just read it one way, but read it with a a close-up and a far-off perspective. Uh, Understand understand its overall message is that of redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ, the redemption of sinful mankind. And understand the the close-ups of it. And, uh, and the immediate context as you read through a Ruth and you see what's going on there, uh, you see the story that's unfolding with Ruth and her husband dying, and as she goes back, um, back to the land of Israel out of Moab and accepts the Lord God as the the savior of the world and 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 turns to him and worships the God of of Israel. Understand the close up, but understand how uh, what a picture of. Uh, um, that Ruth is with Ruth and the kinsman redeemer uh, being Boaz and how that uh, typifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand it, in, it in, in, in the broader context. Also, you can see Ruth in the, in the line of Christ. What, what a, an amazing thing that that is. Uh, but we read it with uh, a close-up perspective as well as a far-off perspective. Number two, read it at face value as a historical account. This is a historical account that God intends for us to understand not all of history, but it is what God wants us to understand. God's dealings with mankind through Israel and then through through Jesus Christ. Never separate scripture from his, its historical context. In fact, one of the the rules of biblical interpretation is to interpret it in context. in it's a historical context in it's literal, grammatical, historical context. And so that's so very important. Now, not all the accounts record how it should be done. Uh, when you look at the accounts where there's polygamy going on, that's uh, not God saying uh, that we ought to be polygamists. Are you with me? Right? Uh, that's not, in fact, you see that, and some people have scratched their head at that and say, well, why is God including this in Scripture? Notice God never condones it, in fact, tells the kings not to do that. And there's much heartache that surrounds all that. Was there not heartache in the household of Abraham? Yeah, there was. Is there not much heartache in our world today because of that decision? Yes, there is. Ultimately, the strife between Israel and the Muslim world is ultimately a goes all the way back to the decision that Abraham made uh, to dishonor the first principle that God laid down. Marriage is between a man and one man and one woman. And God laid that down in pattern. God did not create us uh, to do otherwise. And so, uh, it records the events that are significant to the bigger story. And one of the things that we need to be careful about as you read through, some people will try, constantly try to look for the, um, the symbolism or the allegorical meaning. Be careful about that. Why? Because it, it often leads to very dangerous, dangerous interpretations. I can remember in Brother Snyder, you might remember this, I believe it's Augustine that uh, has an interpretation of, of the prodigal son. Or is it the uh, uh, the parable of the, the sower? One of the other. But boy, he presses every every ounce of that thing. And some of the wackiest uh, 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 different interpretations that come out of that. Uh, there is an interpretation. We ought to uh, seek the clear sense. And if the uh, the the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. Right? <laughs> you just leave it there. And so we have to be careful about that many dangerous Many dangerous false teachings have been, uh, b- um, been the cause of uh, or have been the result of trying to find hidden, hidden messages in Scripture. In fact, one of the things uh, people often go to is numerology in Scripture. I mean, there is, there is some, uh, seven is the number of, uh, uh, of God. There, it, it symbolizes perfection, but there is many times where they press it, even using the verse numbers, and they press and they press this beyond, beyond measure. We, we, we want to read it at face value as a historical account. God wants us to know these things and to apply the principles in our lives. Avoid drawing mystical or moral applications from every story. What do I mean by that? For instance, Joshua does not tell us and does not mean for us, the book of Joshua does not mean for us that we need to go obliterate people that are against God. Right? me read through that. I mean, or, or it's on a war path. But there's, there's more going on in the bigger the scope of that. Isaac and Rebekah does not give us a method for finding a wife. Right? I will hasten to say there is some faith and there is some principles in there that, that, are, that are, there's some wisdom there, but uh, it, it is not a method that you apply. And, and I, I highly doubt any of you have applied that method. I did not uh, apply that method in finding um, my wife, but there are some there's some principles there. But you get the idea Uh, we 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 must be careful of drawing mystical moral applications from every single story. Number four, look for principles that are taught elsewhere in scripture that apply to your life. So let the Bible be its own commentary fact, you've probably heard the statement before the Bible is its own uh, best commentary. And that's, that's the truth because oftentimes in the story, we see God's heart, we see God's character, we see God's ways and we see these principles that he's relaying to us. And they're often uh, corroborated and, 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 and verified and affirmed in other parts of the Bible. Number five, learn from the honesty of scripture and the complexity of biblical characters. Every character has its strength and weakness, right? Aren't you thankful God puts those, those strength and, uh, strengths and weaknesses in Scripture so that we can learn from them? Uh, it's, it's very hard not to think of David and his strengths, incredible strengths and incredible weaknesses. I was just learning this week of when, uh, when David was not asked by his father to the feast where Samuel was anointing the next king of Israel uh, just learning this week how that, uh, when Samuel says, do you have any other sons? Well, you know, you, you would, you'd would understand that, that David, that, uh, that uh, Jesse would have invited all of his sons. That's what a, what a Hebrew father would have done. That's what he should have done is invited all of his sons. The prophet said, bring your sons. I have this, this meeting. I have this, uh, this agenda from God. I, I, I have a, a job to do. He should have brought all the sons, but he asks at the end of seeing those um, those sons. Uh, None of these are it. Do you have another son? Seems like a crazy question, but it, um, but it wasn't. Do you have another son? And he says yes. We have a younger one. But the, what that that word is the idea of we have a worthless one out in the field. That's how he was viewed by by his by his family. He was not he was not the uh, the doted on little little. Uh, little one in the family. He was not appreciated. Why was he out in the field? He was out there because they didn't appreciate him very much. He got the, the raw end of the stick. But you know what? He had some incredible strengths and incredible weaknesses. It was out there that God taught him to know God. And we see the outflow of that in the Psalms. And what a what a man he was, but also what a low in the weakness. And uh, you know what? Each one of them, each person, each character in Scripture, in their flawed condition participate in the broader story of redemption and what God is doing in the world. What an amazing thing. But then number six, read through it with a lens of the gospel. As we, we talked about this is what we mean when we're, we're talking about the redemptive focus of the Bible. It's all one story has one theme, the redemption of mankind through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That needs to be our framework. God is holy. God is righteous. Man is fallen. Man is sinful. We, uh, we have to die because of our sin. Jesus Christ came and took our place for us at the cross. He is our only hope. And uh, in the end, God is going to win uh, and, and, and show us his triumph. He already at the cross, as we learn in Colossians chapter 2, he has already made open spoil of everything that Satan desired to do. He has, he has manifested his defeat at the cross Ultimately, God wins and eternally completes my salvation, and my security. I'll be with him forever and ever in heaven. And as we read this book, we can't exhaust it. We can't exhaust it. We can't know it too much. In fact, we need to continue to look into it and realize that every time we come to the Bible, something new is going to be there for us. Something fresh is going to be for us. Not a new truth like it's not been to, not, uh, never been known before. Be careful about those folks that come to us with new truths, Right. But it, it, it's new to us. It's fresh to us, is a, is a good idea, uh, the good word that we should use. It's fresh to us. Why? Because your events of your life are constantly changing, right? Uh, you, are, you are constantly moving forward in life. And as you come to the word of God, every time you come to it, it speaks to you at that moment in your life. It speaks to you in your today. And so you know what? Whether we're 20 or whether we're 90, the Bible is still fresh for us. And we keep reading it and keep growing in it until we get to be with God in heaven. The word of God always fits into my life today. And so we can embrace it and we can continue to study it and continue to share it with others. So I hope that, I hope that helps give you an overview of scripture. Remember that. We have two testaments broken down into seven seven different sections, if you will. And, uh, and use that as a reference for yourself even tonight. Let's give God praise and thanks for his word tonight. Thank you, Lord, for writing such an, a marvelous book. You told us that the heavens declare the glory of God. We've certainly even seen that today. Lord, I certainly do love it when you uh, put fog on the earth and just show your, your beauty in that way. And I love the sun. And Lord, these things show the, 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 your grandeur. They show your eternal power and Godhead. But, Lord, you wrote your word as the specific revelation to me and to us. And we thank you for it tonight. We thank you that it's perfect. It's complete. Uh, We don't have to continue to look for it. Lord, you have have spoken to us in our generation. You preserved it for our generation. And we just want to give you praise tonight as we've gathered on this Wednesday night. Continue to help us to grow in your word and allow your word to speak to us in our todays. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.